This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. This is history. Today's announcement in Harris's selection is unquestionably historic. Nobody of such a background has ever claimed a place on a major party national ticket. Kamala Harris made history again this week when she became the first black woman and first Asian American to be on a major political party's presidential ticket. A daughter of a mother of Indian descent and a Jamaican father, Harris has had many firsts in her career. She was the first county district attorney, district attorney for San Francisco, the first woman and first African-American elected to the position. She was also the first black woman to become California's attorney general. Harris became the second black woman to join the Senate, winning the California seat vacated by Senator Barbara Boxer in 2016. And not quite four years ago, then-Vice President Joe Biden swore her in to a Senate seat from California. Now Biden is counting on her to help him win the White House as his vice president. With us on Political Theater today to talk about this pick is Mary Curtis, Roll Call columnist, longtime political correspondent covering the intersection of politics, culture, and race. Mary, welcome. Good morning. And and I'm feeling very much into the ancestors. So you must call me Mary C. Curtis. Mary C. Curtis, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thinking of the ancestors because I couldn't help but think of Shirley Chisholm. That's the first name that came to my mind. And Black woman elected to Congress first, I believe, and from New York. And she used to always say, if I don't have a seat at the table, you bring the folding chair. And she ran for president and really wasn't taken too seriously. And that's, that's as I said, the first name I thought of. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I think about Shirley Chisholm a lot also because in uh, in the Capitol, you know, they've got this great portrait uh, of, of her, as you said, uh, a, a longtime congresswoman from New York and first woman to run for, a first black woman to run for president too. And, and it is this, sort of moment I th- and I, I can't remember where I heard this but I think it was it was uh it was in just in this you know kind of onslaught of coverage yesterday just there was a lot of news starting about noon when we started for, first seeing that Biden was was talking to people and telling them who he'd picked that um you know you, you're it's your obligation as a first to make sure you're not the last and and I, and I, and I think that that you know that's something that uh, really resonates, I think, with with a lot of folks in in these sort of um, in these sort of times. So let let's let's talk a little bit about just what this what this means, you know. First, you know, for the country uh, to have to have a black woman uh, on a major party's uh, nominating ticket. I think it means a lot because you, particularly young black girls, in the same way as. People saw Barack Obama in the White House as just a role model that you had not seen before and opening up possibilities. I think young Black girls seeing, and young Asian American girls as well, let's not forget, and she is the child of immigrants. So young immigrant children uh, in, in this country see this person and it opens up the possibilities. And it between her policies and her politics, and her very persona, it does stand in stark contrast to the uh, Trump-Pence ticket, however you want to say it. Uh, And 
I think it is a moment. And when you saw so many of the uh, African-American women and Asian-American women on TV talking about it, there was an emotion there that transcended whatever the words were coming out of their mouths. And you saw it with Representative Barbara Lee and Maxine Waters. I am overjoyed. Um, I feel that this historic moment is one that I will savor uh, for many, many years to come. You saw it, I saw it with Vanita Gupta, uh, who served in the Obama administration. This announcement today uh, is, gives us all hope. It has us fired up because of what it says about our future, about the future of this country. Uh, and I just think it's an absolutely historic choice. Uh, you saw it with so many people. And there was a pride that the bench was so deep when he said, when Biden said he was gonna pick a woman and it narrowed down to, it probably will be a woman of color. Then you saw, oh, could it be Karen Bass or could it be Susan Rice or or Val Demings? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Stacey Abrams. You saw, oh my goodness! And so the whole sense of when people say, well, would this person be qualified? You saw all these people who had been working in the trenches, uh, and then you also, I think, black women have been the backbone of the Democratic Party, black voters in general, but black women in particular. They vote a very strong for their demographic uh, graphics, and they did support Hillary Clinton as opposed to the majority of, of white women. And I think you saw a sense of, wow, not being taken for granted. And that was interesting too, I, I felt. Now I'm looking at it as a journalist and I'm a black woman myself. And obviously I've been in some rooms where decisions are made in journalism and elsewhere. And you always do feel a little bit alone. And you think twice about raising your voice sometimes. And you do know that when you do, you'll get hit with the things that Senator Harris, Kamala Harris has already been hit with. Ambition, these, these qualities that in men, particularly white men, are looked at as a plus. You know, this is a go-getter. This is an ambitious person. But for women, particularly black women, it is uh, looked on as something that is a negative. But she held on to that and embraced it and said, when you, my mom told me, she said, when you step out, uh, you will be hit for the very things that the world admires and you just have to get past that. So uh, I think that conversation resonated with so many people out there. I remember my mom telling me, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And then when you go out there, you have to make sure you uh, your demeanor, your dress, you smile too much, you smile too little. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. And then I have to do my job too. And uh, it just, I think that you saw that out there. And and also the energy she's going to bring to the ticket uh, uh, was quite evident from the, from the start. So it will be very interesting. Um, the first thing I heard going around, everybody was saying, October 7th, October 7th. The debate between Vice President Pence and, and Senator Kamala Harris, it was almost like a pay-per-view fight or something. Right. <laughs> and, I, you know, one thing that is, is interesting to me, too, is that this is, of the, um, of the four people on the major tickets, Trump, Pence, Biden, uh, and Harris, I mean, Harris seems to be of a 
you know, it, it, it does sort of say, like, this is the next generation. I mean, I think that if, if 10 years ago you would have said that the ticket in 2020 for the Democrats would be Biden-Harris, I think most people would have probably thought Bo Biden, uh, who, you yeah, know, the, yeah. the, 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 vice president, the former vice president's son who, who died of, of cancer a few years ago. Yes. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, Bo Biden and Harris were uh, colleagues as attorneys general, uh, he, he for Delaware and, and she for California. And and it does, it almost feels like, I mean, you never want a vice president to outshine you necessarily, but she certainly has, as you said, this star power. And it is like, I I've, I wonder, did, has anybody ever said to somebody like, uh, somebody like Trump, you're just too ambitious, you know, like that, that's a big knock against you. I mean, like this is, I wonder if that is something that is just going to seem kind of ridiculous on its, on its ear at a, at a certain point. I know we're not there yet. Well, first of all, it was very emotional, that bit in the announcement when Joe Biden referenced his son's relationship with her. And you felt that emotion there as well. Uh, he had said he wanted somebody simpatico. And yes, when Trump came out and he used the term nasty, which he seems to reserve for women. She was extraordinarily nasty to uh, Kavanaugh, Ju- Judge Kavanaugh then, now Justice Kavanaugh. She was nasty to a level that was just uh, a horrible thing, the way she was, the way she treated now Justice Kavanaugh. And I won't forget that soon. And it really sounded off. Uh, because, you know, he talked about she was mean and tough. Well, this is coming from Trump, who tweets insults <laughs> even when his enemies, so-called enemies, are dead, like John Lewis and John McCain. I mean, it's and so it, first of all, seemed very ironic. Um, and it did seem tone deaf to, to say in this age now, uh, nasty. And I, I felt, who will this appeal to? Because actually now with, you know, women after Me Too and all of this, uh, the whole sense of calling a woman nasty and she said it was the meanest thing, uh, it did, it it hit with a climb, you know, and this is not the time for that uh, when we're talking about these kinds of issues. And I don't think it will have a lot of appeal, even in the suburbs that he's trying to win and among those white women who the majority of them voted for uh, you know, President Trump in 2016, it did seem off for the age. And if this is the way they're going to go, I don't think that will work. I mean, the, initially I saw the ad calling her a radical, which I think some in the Democratic Party on the left would have an argument with, and then saying that she's just this nasty person. And uh, and then he sort of took up for Biden and said he was mean. She was mean to him, and I think that makes Joe Biden look stronger. I want a woman that's going to be a tough politician. That is going. They're going to have be a true partner, as I had with Barack Obama, and won't be a yes person. And what one thing that struck me too was, I mean, you, you talk about the the um, how these sort of like comments that the president make may land with with women or, or or other you know folks who are just you know sort of thinking like, wow, that sounds just so four years ago, Mr. President. Uh, is that Sarah Palin, the last woman to run as a vice presidential nominee for on the Republican ticket with John McCain? She actually she she sent out on social media this sort of unsolicited like, hey, good for you. 
and like here's here's my here are my observations. Uh, you know, Geraldine Ferraro, the first woman uh, uh, vice presidential nominee, uh, is is uh, passed away a few years ago. Uh, but she, you know, she mentioned Ferraro, and she also said, you know, kind of stick to your guns, keep your own people close. I mean, be ready for the criticism. I mean, it was just this like. It was it was as if like party did not seem to matter in in this in this and it was actually kind of kind of touching. Yeah, I was really struck by that. I read the whole thing and it was this little blueprint, you know, stay true to yourself. And it was as though you're in the sisterhood as opposed to Democrats and Republicans. And it made me realize too. And I covered Palin quite a bit, and it made me realize how hurt she felt and how isolated in her own campaign. So she felt this uh, relationship with Paris because she's warning her of some things to come. And I was quite touched by that as well. Uh, and, and looked at Palin a little differently, I believe, uh, because she is recognizing that she is going to get hit with some of the same things that Sarah Palin was in her campaign. And it did transform her image. and. That was, as you say, quite touching uh, in a way. Another thing that about Harris is, you know, she went to an HBCU, Howard University, and I believe she's the first person on a ticket that has gone to an historically black college university. And there's a very strong bond. And she's a member of a black sorority, the AKAs, and they will be out in force and very protective. I myself am not in in one of the sororities. I'm not a sorority kind of person, but I do know how loyal they are. So she brings a lot to her that I think that many in America, white voters are not even aware of this whole cultural issue as well. And and many, the AKAs are very accomplished and people who go to HBCUs they go to graduate schools in very high numbers, med schools, law schools, as, as Kamala Harris went to the law school at Berkeley. And that's a formidable force. So that's another interesting wrinkle to it. And yes, you're right. She gets that energy. She's youthful. I saw a great joke on a, a Black website. They were saying she's 55, but looks 37 because, you know, Black. <laughs> <laughs> And she, she does have that energy and uh, that is going to be out there. It's interesting. She would have drawn the crowds if it were not a virtual world. She grew, she drew that huge crowd when she announced. I was just going to say, yeah, in Oakland, it was just this gigantic crowd um, yes. for, for her announcement for that she was running. Bigger than Obama's. And we can restore America's moral leadership on this planet. So, let's do this. <laughs> and and I, I wonder too, I mean, just to uh, divert a little bit um, from just just the 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 race like aspect of it is that she and Biden uh, now will comprise a ticket like that none of their four degrees come from an Ivy League school. And I wonder if that also has some some resonance culturally. Because we're in an Ivy League world or an Ivy League world that has been made by people who went to Ivy Leagues, you know, on the Supreme Court and the, the presidency and so forth. And then all of a sudden you got a, a guy who went to Delaware and Syracuse <laughs> for his degrees and then a woman who went to Howard and Berkeley. And I think that, that that's a 
that's kind of a big deal too, right? I mean, I do think so. Think of the first black president and how he had to be pristine in every way according to the rules that society sets. I'm not giving value to one or the other, but he and his wife, Barack and Michelle Obama, Harvard, right? Yeah, Harvard Law School. And he went to Columbia, she went to Princeton. They had, and their family was pristine. Everything was pristine. And it almost had to be because they still were withering attacks that they, he wasn't even born here, right? But you're right, it is different. And he's got that Scranton guy, I'm going to go to Pennsylvania, I'm one of you. Uh, She's the HBCU, she can go and do the stepping in the line. And it is a, a cultural shift. What's interesting to me is you already saw some Bernie Sanders supporters be a little upset that he even came out in support because they were hoping for a very progressive partner. And she, her politics are very close, out center left, perhaps, although she would say, I believe that she has gone in for a lot of criminal justice reform. If you look at her Senate record, if you look at how she's questioned uh, folks like Bill Barr and Brett Kavanaugh, Uh, that she has a very progressive record. But there has been some criticism and and some disappointment. And you will see what the reaction will be. As I said, many of their surrogates are going out to say, listen, young folks, listen, progressives, look at the policies, look at where they are now. But uh, that has been interesting. Although that will also make it harder for, I believe, Republicans to paint her and Joe Biden as wild-eyed leftist radicals. Yeah, I and I've wondered about this. I mean, I, again, not to um, disparage anything that you know, say a, a Bernie Sanders supporter uh, has, but it seems like Bernie Sanders is is on board, uh, and and even if some of his followers aren't. And I wonder, like, I mean, this this is just a part of being a successful politician. I mean, as as I as I mentioned at the top of our discussion, um, you know, she's she didn't she's not brand new. You know, she has been a district attorney. Uh, you know, and also in in a in a big places. You know, San Francisco, California. I mean, these are not uh, no no offense to Vermont, uh, but it is easier to it, it. There are just fewer people to compete with <laughs> when when you're looking for a out when you're trying to win a house or. Senate seat in Vermont compared to being a senator in California, uh, which, you know, could be a, a country in, it, in its own right in terms of its economy and its population. Oh, yeah. The Justice Department there as attorney general, I think it's only second in size to the U.S. <laughs> Department. And, you know, when you look into her record, yes, there are some things you can criticize. She was tough. She also came into criticism for being against the death penalty. And when there was an accused uh, killer of a police officer when she didn't go for the death penalty. And at the funeral, Diane Feinstein, you know, criticized that. Uh, and she got some criticism from police and yet she won some support as well. She was walking a real tightrope and she was very careful in many ways. And you look at her record there and it it is, as I said, some things to criticize. It's mixed. It also shows the compromise that you will need, as you say, if you're rising in a political career and you happen also to be a woman of Black and Asian descent. That is tough. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, Biden has been very upfront in saying that, you know, we are going to make the cabinet 
look more like America, which is sort of an echo of what Obama, you know, did, uh, said also and, and, and exercise. And I, I just, I wonder like, is, is it too much of a, you know, restoration of the Obama administration or do you think that there is enough here, you know, is, is, is Biden, you know, is, is Biden enough <laughs> to keep up with Harris in some ways? Uh, I mean, like, again, you, you never want the vice presidential nominee to outshine the nominee, but it seems like there is a a, a sort of a star power. And one or another uh, of Roll Call Zones, Stu Rothenberg, said yesterday that uh, he thought not, Harris was going to be the nominee. <laughs> so, I mean, early on in in the uh, in the in the contest, he was he was fairly certain that like she was going to be the Democratic nominee. Um, is there is there that danger <laughs> that she becomes the kind of the the star of the, of the show? Well, as I said, uh, to be a black woman and to get anywhere, you know how to walk that tightrope and thread that needle. And she has made it very clear that she is the vice president to uh, Joe Biden. And in the future, that she's the future of the party. And obviously, he will be what seventy eight at the time of the inauguration. And of course, you know, that doesn't mean anything. He's obviously going to be the president, but he's also never been hesitant to have strong people on his team. And he's also already said he is going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. So it seems like he is not afraid of the future. And so, you know, uh, I think that Kamala Harris, yes, she is a star, but I also think she knows how to campaign as his vice president and that she will be um, looking for his policies and supporting his policies. And that's the way it is. Uh, she's got time. Before we let you go, Mary, just as a, I mean, as a reporter, you've been covering, you know, politics and, and particularly race and politics for years. Just personally, like, tell me like what your reaction was to, to this news uh, when, when we saw it. Personally, as a Black woman who's been in professional spaces, you know, all her life and has had to navigate these things, when I heard it, it's not that it was unexpected, of course, she was the odds-on favorite, but it actually became a reality. And when you're Black, you never think something's going to be a reality until it is. I just felt like a freedom a weight being lifted off. It doesn't make any sense that it took until 2020 for a black woman to be put on the ticket, to be the nominee of a major political party in America, because black women have been the blood, the life, the soul, so much in and of America since its founding. But it did. And when it happened, I was happy to be alive. I, I wished my mom <laughs> could have seen it and my oldest sister, who has passed. Of course, I was on text with my uh, sister, who is my remaining sister. Uh, and as you can hear, I'm just getting emotional thinking about it and experiencing it. We are such a part of America. Black women, but in many ways, large and small, America finds ways to disregard, disrespect, ignore us, but we keep going. And this was just a joy. 
And it doesn't mean I can't cover, criticize, question all of those things because I, I am a journalist, as you know. But that just that moment, I, it's hard to describe. It was just very emotional. And as I said, it, it just made me realize for the younger generations, there are people who grew up young kids who saw Barack Obama and thought, oh, presidents are black. And now people will say, this is a black woman, a black and Asian woman on the ticket. And this is just the way it is. It's history. It's just history. And I, I just felt that it was overdue, but it certainly is about time. That's a good, good spot to end. Well, Mary, thank you so much. Uh, people can, uh, fo- you know, they can follow you on rollcall.com and at your own website, maryccurtis.com. And I'm uh, l- looking forward to our future work together. Thanks so much. Thank you.